Can you smell terror? That's terror, like spooky stuff. Damn my speech impediment. And then we take a look at a hideous winged cryptid known as the man bat. Is this winged cryptid currently stalking the city of Chicago today on Dead Rabbit Radio? Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you're having a great day too. We're going to go ahead and just jump on into this again. I got no news to talk about. Everything's going pretty good. I got a mouthful of nicotine lozenges and I'm feeling great. So let's go ahead and let's go ahead and get started with the first story. The first story is interesting because I've had this, I have a super, super sensitive nose to the point that, and this might disgust some of you guys, but it's natural. It's totally natural. I remember I've always been able to do this, but I never was able to tell what the smell was. As I got older and learned more about human biology, I started to figure it out. But especially when I was in co- in high school, it happened a lot, and especially in college, it happened a lot. I would smell wet pennies every so often. I would smell iron. O- it smelled like iron oxide or wet pennies would be the- another way to describe it. And I can smell when a woman's on her period. I can smell the blood, and it it was something that I kind of figured out, but I never wanted to be like, hey. You on the rag? Like, I didn't want to really, like, say... So I never really had any confirmation until I was, like, maybe, like, 19 or 20. I did end up discussing it with a woman. I said, yeah, I can smell when a woman's on her period. And she's like, really? It's like, yeah, it smells like uh, pennies. And she's like, yeah, that's yeah, that's exactly what it is, dude. You're smelling it. So I have a super sensitive nose. And again, I'm not saying, like, I can smell it while they're in the shower. Like, I can be walking through Macy's and be like, oh, okay. <laughs> Someone's on their period in here. It's, like, really strong. And I don't, I'm not trying to make women feel uncomfortable or anything like that. It's super rare for people to have such a sensitive nose. Super, super rare. But on the flip side of that, there have been times where I've walked into houses. I remember this happened not too long ago. I was with a friend. We went over to another friend's house. As we were driving back home, I remember going, are they having marriage troubles? Are they having troubles there? My friend's like, I don't know. Like, I, I think everything's okay. And I'm like, I think they're fighting a lot. And she goes, how do you know? And I'm like, I just have a feeling. Because you walk into people's houses, I, I, I can do this too, I can walk into someone's house and tell you how good your relationship is. Not because half the house is like full with video game stuff and the other house looks like it's out of Better Homes and Garden. Like there's like a straight up like schism in it. I can go into your house and th- basically get a sense of how good your relationship is. Not through any sort of trickery, not through any sort of magic. I never really figured out how to do it until now. I've, I think I found the mechanism behind it. And this also plays a lot into ghosts and stuff like that as well. In 2015, they're in the Netherlands. There was, so we're going to the year 2015. We're in the Netherlands. And we are visiting Utrecht University. Good old UU. Home of the fighting boars. And so, Utrecht University did this study. And they go, hmm. I I think, as much as I crap on scientists, I think they'd actually kind of be kind of a funny job because you just come up with bizarre stuff and start running scenarios. They said, let's see what happens when we expose women to male sweat. But not just any male sweat, we're going to expose them to terror sweat. So, they they brought these guys in, they brought in 30 dudes, and said, here, we're going to give you a clean shirt, don't wear any deodorant, nothing like that. Just come on over, 
Sounds like something a serial killer does to prep his victims. But anyways, I want you pure for the knife. I want you pure. But anyway, so these guys apparently have never seen Hostel. They go to this place and they have to follow all the instructions. They're given a clean shirt and they're given little sweat pads underneath their armpits. And at that point, they're showing one of three videos. Either a scary video. Well, I probably like the ring or something like that. The actual ring video and they're all dying. They're like, most of our participants died after seven days. Show, they show them a happy video or they show them a neutral video. And through that little bit, they put their sweat pads under there. And it's not like then they had them run a marathon. Just that little bit of sweat. They took each swab out, whether or not they were watching one of those three videos. Put it in a vial. A couple days later, they had these women show up. And they had their heads, like, resting. Again, it's basically Serial Killer University. They had their heads locked into this little, like, brace. So they couldn't move their heads. People are very trusting in the Netherlands. And they brought, and they opened these vials up in front of the women. So they could get a whiff of this sweat. Now, some of the sweat smelled gross. Some of the sweat was a little B.O.-ish. Some of the sweat smelled kind of good. The guy had a good fruity flavor to him. And some of the sweat, you couldn't really sweat. You couldn't really smell it. But that's not what the scientists were looking for. They were looking and videotaping directly at the woman's face. And at the moment they got the first whiff of the vial, they recorded the, f- the subconscious facial reactions of the women. And this is what they found. Regardless of whether or not this, the BO was super stank or not, regardless of the actual smell, and this was a small sample size, but regardless of the, the actual smell, the women who were exposed to the neutral sweat had no real facial reaction, none of that subconscious facial reaction. But the women who were exposed to the fear sweat, for a brief second, their face showed fear. I don't think their eyes went super wide like Looney Tunes, but for a brief second, they looked like they were scared. And the women who were exposed to the happy smell, for a brief second, their face showed delight. And again, regardless of how stinky it was, they're like, oh my god, what does this guy eat? Asparagus every day? This is horrible. But, but in that brief first second, they'd be like, puppies. And so this is the thing. If your sweat can leave behind that sort of neurochemical trail, if you go into this house where there's domestic violence, where people are just beating each other up, they're leaving that fear and anger chemical in the air. And when you walk over, they're all dressed up and... They got dinner ready and the television showing Peppa Pig or whatever. Now, these women also were more sensitive smellers. So I, they were selected because they have a high sense of smell. So I think someone with a high sense of smell, like myself, could walk into a house and be like, there's something really serious going on here. Like someone's getting the shit kicked out of them here. And I can't put it into words. I just walk into the house and I'm like, oh, that's, this house feels oppressive, was probably how I would express it. I probably want to know in detail, but I'd walk in and I would get that whiff of that terror scent. You walk in our house, everything's super lovey-dovey. You walk in, you're like, this house feels like a home. This house feels like everyone inside loves loves each other. And this is why I think this is interesting. I always poo-poo on mediums. I think the idea of go and we actually talked about this yesterday, too. This is kind of a callback to that. Imagine mediums don't have any sort of psychic powers, but they're just really sensitive smellers. So they can go into a house where oppressive acts have happened and they're like, there is a dark foreboding in this house. But they don't know why they're having that feeling. And then yesterday I talked about the ghost of Wong and how I feel there may actually be a ghost there, but someone created a story about that. I think it's more likely that mediums have no magical powers, but they might just be super sensitive smellers. And they walk into a house and they're like, 
their first reaction is something wrong is here, and then they make up a story to explain why it's wrong. It's completely natural reaction. You walk in a house and you're like, this house feels troubled. Maybe an old-timey guy here chopped the head off his wife, and his wife is still floating around the basement. Because they're trying to explain that initial feeling they have. But I would also argue that I think most people, they got the sensitive smellers for this one, but I think most people, whether or not you know it, pick up on the smells of other humans. I think the sense of smell is completely underrated. So when you meet a person and they seem creepy, or they seem, and you haven't really talked to them, you're drawn to them, or you want to stay away from them, it's most likely their scent. It's most likely you aren't necessarily being attracted to them or being warned away from them because of anything you can really explain. It's probably the chemical that they're putting out that you're picking up slightly and your body's either saying, this guy's into some weirdo stuff. Stay away from him. You're going to end up in his murder basement with your head locked into a brace having you smell sweat until he cuts your organs out. Or or he's giving off happy chemicals. And you're like, ah, oh, this guy... this. I think I could I think I could chill with this dude. He's pretty cool. I think the nose is completely underrated. I think this study proves that. And I think it may also help disprove or debunk the idea of walking into a house and sensing ghosts. Now we're leaving the Netherlands. Bye, Netherlands. We wave and they're all waving. They got huge pit stains underneath their shirts because they just can't stop running these tests. We're coming to America. Most specifically, we're coming to the states bordering Lake Michigan. And some of them, my geography is not all that good, but we're in that general area. So you might be like, that state's not near Lake Michigan. We're in that general area. Just go with me on this. Because this creature doesn't really care about boundaries, doesn't really care about state lines. And I think it's interesting because a lot of times we talk about cryptids in the forest. A lot of times you talk about cryptids in the jungle, cryptids in the desert. But what about a cryptid in the air? Not a lot of them. Find them fascinating. 1969. We're in the town of Rolling Prairie, which is an oxymoron. Rolling Prairie, Indiana. There's a family living in a trailer. Unnamed family, by the way. Actually, it might be named. I might not just wrote it down. But anyways, this family's living in a trailer. A recent storm ripped a hole in the roof of the trailer. So, it's... (laughs) I don't know why people live. I, if, I don't mind people living in trailers. I think that's totally fine. But I don't understand why you live in a trailer in Tornado Alley or anywhere where there's any sort of high wind. But anyway, so these people are living in a trailer in a place where wind can rip the roof off your house at any moment. And they haven't gotten it fixed yet. Probably never will. So they put a blue tarp over the hole. And now this is a sizable hole. It's not like a little like, oh, look it, I can see the sunlight. It's like, oh, look, I can see the entire sun. And the flames shooting off the side of it from my living room. So anyways, there's this giant hole in their roof. They cover it up with a blue tarp. Which would be, how do you sleep with that? Every night it'd be like, plus the bugs. But anyways, they're sleeping in their trailer. Blue tarp covering up the hole. Mom, dad, grandma, little boy, little girl, all living in this trailer. I'm sure it was a double white. One night, the boy's sleeping. The can't sleep because the tarp keeps hitting the top. The wind's just driving him nuts. Little boy. Parents are asleep. Baby sister's asleep. Grandma's asleep. So the little boy sharing a bedroom with his baby sister. So her crib's in the bedroom. He's laying in bed. Here's the tarp. Doesn't hear the tarp anymore. Just laying in bed. 
wide awake. The sound that was keeping him awake is now absent, and he finds it a little more terrifying. And then he smells something. Not terror sweat, not happy sweat. Something beast-like. Something old and wet and inhuman. He rolls over in his bed, looking towards his sister's crib. And that's when he sees it, standing in the darkness. He described it as seven to eight feet tall, covered everywhere in hair. Huge, leathery wings. Attached to its back. Massive arms and legs, skinny little torso, kind of would look like a moth would if he was hitting the gym. He described, this I thought was, so that description in and of itself, you're like, it's kind of like a big old bat, like a muscular bat. Bat who doesn't skip leg day, but when he, but the tiny little torso. And the way he describes it, I thought was chilling. He says it looked like a human, the, the torso and the head looked like a human skeleton with sharp teeth. But, the sound it made, and I don't know if that's the actual sound it made, but he described it as a low garbled sound. He's in this room. He immediately begins screaming, and his grandma runs into the room. The creature then turns to the boy, picks him up in these huge, powerful arms, and starts running through the trailer and shoots out the top of the, the roof, shoots out through the hole. Grandma's screaming. Parents, dead asleep. What's weird is that there's a gap in the story at this point. Where the boy says, he survived to tell the tale. He says, the next thing I know, I was on the roof of the trailer, out in the cold. The parents said, we woke up because we heard something loud hit the roof of the trailer. They jumped up and they found their son on the top of the trailer, unconscious. The grandma said... A giant bat just flew out of here, like just picked up your son, my grandson, which obviously, but grabbed the kid, ran, and took off. And the boy was up there. So you had two witnesses. You had the grandma and the boy who both saw this creature. Now, they didn't call the cops, which is a little suspicious, but I'm wondering if there was something else going on in that trailer, drinking or something like that, or drug use. You're going to call the cops if a giant bat tries to steal your kid. You're going to call the cops if a tiny bat tries to steal your kid. But they didn't call the cops. This story only came to light years and years later when he told this story. So there's a little bit of a suspect to it. He could just be making it up and saying, oh yeah, my grandma saw it. And they're like, oh, can we interview her? And they're like, nah, she's dead. But he tells the story later. Now... This is what I thought was funny. Other than the child abduction by a giant man bat. He had this horrible experience as a kid. He didn't forget about it. He remembered it all of his life. And then the movie The Mothman Chronicles came out. Starring Richard Gere. It came out like in the late 2000s. And he goes to see it. Now, generally, if you get if you get mugged, you're not going to go watch Menace to Society when it comes out. You're going to be like, nah, I'm good. I don't need to see that. But he goes to, he gets abducted by a man bat, and then he goes to watch the Mothman Chronicles, and he ran out of the theater. He got totally scared. And then they have this quote in this article. He literally had to leave during the scene where the Mothman caused the automobile crash and death. He has not attempted to watch the film since then. No, duh. Really, dude, why does this article have to add that last sentence? Of course he doesn't want to watch it again. He got abducted by a Mothman-type creature. But anyways... It felt They felt the need to include that quote, like he has not watched the film since. Of course he hasn't. Of course he hasn't. Again, you go through a traumatic event, 
You're not going to be like, hey, what do you want to watch? I don't know. Let's watch Irreversible. Like, you're just going to stay away from movies that replicate the crime that you are part of, that you are a victim of. So anyways, I don't, that's not really notable, but they wanted to notate it on this website. So I read that story and I was like, that's probably not true. I've never, I've been in a lot of trailers in my life. I've never found one that an eight foot tall creature could walk through naturally. I've never found one that really anyone over six feet tall could walk through naturally. I've never, I don't think they could support the weight of a creature that was eight feet tall running around. I think the fact that he, they dropped him on the roof was bizarre. Like there was a lot of stuff, the parents not waking up. The theory was that the creature hypnotized them. Then why wasn't the grandma hypnotized? Why wasn't he hypnotized? So the story didn't really, I was like, I read it and I was kind of like, ah, I don't think it's true. Then I decided to look up some more stuff. In the Lake Michigan area, in that whole general area of the United States, what are those states called? We have the West Coast and the South and the East Coast, and then we have the Northwest, then we have Central America. Wait, no, no, that's that's a different place. But you know what I mean? Like the Great Lakes area? Anyway, so that whole area up there. There's been a lot of sightings of a man-bat creature, or sometimes it's described as a giant insect-like creature, which I think this one, even though he was giant and furry, I think the tiny body makes it does seem kind of insectoid. But I start looking through these different incidents, and I was like, oh, these people see it flying through here, and these people, and I was like, oh, that could probably be explained. It could probably just be a big old bug. And I keep looking, and at a certain point, I'm I'm trying to find nothing, because I had already made my mind up that this story was fake. And I still, I'm not 100% on it, but I kept finding, sighting after sighting after sighting after sighting of these creatures. To the point, in 2017, in 2017 alone, in the city, in just the city of Chicago, 29 sightings of a man-bat creature by dozens of witnesses, police officers, News reporters, people just walking down the street. They saw one jumping off of the Sears Tower, like doing a swan dive and then fly through the city. People had seen them on the outskirts of Chicago. People have seen them within the streets of Chicago flying around. Reports of them shape-shifting, of seeing humans all of a sudden growing wings and taking off and flying off into the city. Report after report after report. And at a certain point, there have been times where a Bigfoot has been sighted in an area, and then all of a sudden there's a ton of Bigfoot sightings, and you have to go, those are probably fake. Like, either that original person was the first person to see Bigfoot in the area, or everyone else now is mistaking everything for Bigfoot. But these man-bat sightings aren't super publicized. It's not like one person sees the man-bat and is all over the news. This 1969 story is way too far back for it to be a viral sensation. People, ordinary people, are seen just in the city of Chicago 29 times a giant, bigger than a human, flying creature going through the city. Absolutely bizarre. And I think it's interesting because when we think of cryptids, they're hidden. They're, like I was saying in my intro, they're deep in remote areas. Very rarely do you have, almost never do you have cryptids in super inhabited areas. Could be fake. Could just be a lot of people thinking that they're seeing a giant flying guy. But if it's real, if this is a real cryptid, what's interesting about this story is that you know how we build houses and we start to encroach on 
the natural habitat of mountain lions. And then mountain lions start walking. We had a mountain lion walking through the City of Hood River a couple months ago. Or cougar or whatever. Whatever the difference was. I think it was mountain lion. But anyways, it was walking by an elementary school. Because humanity keeps encroaching on their territory. And they're like, well, then screw it. If I can't find food out here, I'm going to go in your neighborhood and find some food. What if the same thing is going to happen with cryptids? What if as we spread out and start knocking down their natural habitat, they start coming to where we're at? We cut down enough forest and eventually Bigfoot's like, this sucks. Can't find any more fish. Can't eat any more deer. I'm just going to go into this neighborhood. What happens when we start building apartment buildings where the melonheads live? And they're just like, ah, they're trying to apply for a loan. They all just stack up on each other wearing a trench coat, filling out paperwork. That's one scenario. That's one scenario. That we're basically cutting into their environment, so we're going to be seeing more and more cryptids in the cities and in the suburbs. But there's another theory as well. What if the man-bat, if it exists, let's assume that it exists for a second. What if the man-bat says, hmm, my species have always lived in the wilderness, and we've always hunted lone stragglers. People lost in the woods that disappear. Hitchhikers on a dark stretch of night looking for a ride, they disappear. Small family picnicking. One kid goes running off, never find the kid again. And that has satiated my species for a long time. But now is the time to no longer just eat. Now is the time to feast. Now was the time to hunt humans, where I know there's a lot of them. And you have this creature patrolling the skies of Chicago, looking for its next meal. A hiker goes missing in the middle of the woods. People are going to go looking for him. A young prostitute disappears in the streets of Chicago. They're going to look for her, but at a certain point, they're just going to figure the city swallowed her up. It's far easier to feed on prey in a city where people easily just disappear. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. Twitter is at Jason O. Carpenter. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys. (laughs) 